1: We in our lifetime, Mallory, may never see the changes that we hope that we're planting seeds for now. So, where do you get your passion and How do you fill your cup back
0: up if you're constantly having to pour in? Welcome back to What the Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Instill. Today, I'm interviewing Rosa Julia Rivera. Rosa is a clinical therapist and co owner of Chicago Growth Mindset, a Latina led private practice specializing in integrating workplace mental wellness programs and providing evidence based behavioral health care for high stress professionals, community healers, leaders, and first responders. In this episode, Rosa offers you her expertise on creating a culture and mindset inside your organization that supports the health, wellness, and recovery of people in high stress, mission-driven positions. She also gives tangible advice on how to thrive and feel empowered as a development director in a nonprofit, even if your boss doesn't prioritize employee well-being. As we're experiencing an unprecedented mental health crisis and particularly high burnout across our sector, this episode is more critical than ever. So let's dive in so you can meet Rosa. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Rosa Julia Rivera. Rosa, welcome to What the Fundraising. Thank you,
1: Mallory, for having me today.
0: So let's just dive in and have you tell everyone a little bit about you and your history and experience and what brings you to our conversation today.
1: I am the co-owner and architect of Chicago Growth Mindset. We are a Latina-led private practice that specializes in organizational wellness and high-stress professionals. I had been a therapist for over 30 years and also worked in the nonprofit sector for about 10 of those years. Um, in leadership and development, which is what brings me here today with you.
0: Yeah, I think your experience in all of the different sections and iterations of your professional experience, I think all of them speak to what fill you with so much wisdom that's valuable to fundraising professionals. But I would love to just start and hear a little bit about your experience inside a development office, what led you there, and how did your experience as a trained clinical therapist show up in the way that you thought about or ran that development department?
1: That's a great question, Mallory. I can imagine people would wonder, how does a therapist end up leading a development department? I started in a nonprofit social service organization, has been in Chicago for over hundred years. And I started by creating their mental health department. So I was the director of mental health when I got hired. And that made sense. I'd been a clinician for 20 some odd years. I had run various clinical teams, super excited to bring mental health to this organization. And it was the first time that I was in social service community nonprofit. Before that, I had done nonprofit, but like a corporate nonprofit, hospitals, those types of things. It's a different animal than doing community nonprofit social service work. So the whole experience was really new to me. And I realize now that this happens a lot in nonprofit. By my second year, I had become the director of mental health and youth programs. By the third year, I was the director of all programs. By the fourth year, I was the COO of the organization. So I went from being a therapist to being the chief operating officer and kind of myself, this whirlwind of like, what's happening? And I was so used to asking people how they feel and really wanting to connect with people and this was, I remember they called me because the air conditioner broke. And I was like, you must feel really upset. And they're like, well, we're calling you because you're the chief operating officer. And I was like, I don't know anything about <laughs> air conditioners. Like, I want to talk about <laughs> So in the nonprofit sector, when you are the director of all programs, what they don't tell you is if your manager of youth programs quits, you are now the manager of youth programs. So that position gets filled. As the director of all programs, I interacted with development department all the time. And that was the first time I met a grant writer. And mind you, this was an agency that never had mental health. So we were really leaning on the development department to help create this vision of what mental health would look like in this nonprofit. Within a month, the grant writer was my best friend. I was bringing muffins, coffee, like, what do you need? I got you. I need you to write this grant to help me create a mental health department. So got familiar with the development department that way initially as a director of mental health. And then taking on all the programs, I interacted with development department almost every day. Grants were due, reports were due, site visits, funders at events that I would speak at. But when you become the chief operating officer and your director of development quits, you become the director of development. (laughs) (laughs) I found myself with amazing grant writers, an amazing event planner our marketing, and social media person, this amazing team of individuals who were really mission-driven and really there to do some incredible work and feeling really lost in how to do this. The boss at the time had a famous saying of like, just Google it. <laughs> so it was always her way of like, just figure it out. And at that time, really understanding when you are the director of development, feeling that you are the heartbeat of the organization, feeling that pressure. I started to feel that pressure. And that's how it was kind of. You're now the director of development. You have to raise $14 million, go. And this amazing team really supported me. But what I realized quickly, I had 30 years of running a clinical team. And the way that clinicians work is very much about their why. It's why they do the work. They're not there for the big paychecks, they're there for why it matters to them. And I realized really quickly in this development team that there wasn't much difference. The direct service was different. Therapists saw you and, did their work in a clinical way, but all of this amazing development team was very much there for the why. But also as a clinician, understanding how quickly clinicians, for example, burn out. One of the reasons that Chicago Growth Mindset focuses on high stress individuals is we saw therapists burning out. We saw therapists getting sick. And we said, if the healers are getting sick, then what are we going to do? And I really saw, especially during COVID, the same thing happened to the development department. Like for them, it was saving lives just in a different way. It was for clinicians, it's doing a suicide assessment. For a grant writer, it's getting this grant that's going to fund three clinicians who can then work for a year in a grammar school to do whatever beautiful project that we created. And really seeing that they had that same mentality of not just needing to, they all had their craft. I was lucky in that all of them knew grant writers knew how to write grant, event planners knew how to develop events. But what was missing was the same kind of things that were missing with running clinicians is having that mindset of how to do this work. How do I frame this in a way that's sustainable for the long haul?
0: Thank you for sharing your journey and drawing those parallels for us. I want to talk about that piece in particular, like how do you set up a mindset and maybe a culture inside an organization that can support the wellness of individuals that are in these high stress, mission-driven positions, which I think also lend itself to a higher level of sensitivity, and I use that word really positively, but, you know, deeply feeling people who love to be in connection to one another that also then perhaps make them more susceptible to some of the inputs around them. Before we talk about that, though, will you talk to me a little bit about how burnout happens from maybe more of that, like, clinical perspective, like what's happening inside our body and our minds when we hit that point of burnout?
1: I think understanding that stress takes a toll on our body. And I think 20 years ago, people thought stress was a headache. Maybe it was some tension in your neck. And it's really been just in the last 20 years that science has caught up and understood that stress can cause cancer, heart attacks, diabetes. We now understand that our body even though we feel like we can ignore stress, keeps the score. It's constantly taking in what's happening. And this acute stress of deadlines are due and that grant didn't come through or depending on who your boss is, the pressure of failure Mm -hmm. and what that means. And defining yourself by your performance. How many people do that? Oh, you didn't meet that deadline. I'm a horrible person. Well, wait a minute. How does your deadline have anything to do with who you are? But we connect ourselves to our performance all the time. And so when someone gives us feedback, it can hit us so hard. And for sure, in social service, I see that that people are working through their heart. It's hard work. It's what we're doing. And so we're in this vulnerable space all the time. And so one, it's really minimizing stress and not understanding how chronic stress, how acute can turn into chronic stress and how stress not just affects our body, but our brain, our prefrontal cortex, our hippocampus, all those things, our our amygdala, all those things are being activated by stress in different ways. We now know that our brain shrinks, our executive functioning shrinks, our ability to problem solve, to use logic shrinks when we're under a lot of stress, right? We're prone to more accidents. We're prone to missing deadlines. We're prone to not getting in a report on time. But all of those things take an effect on our body. And oftentimes in social service, we're not making widgets. Like if we were a car manufacturer and you had a bad day and it wasn't going your way, okay, maybe I could have made more widgets. What we do is in social service is support communities and oftentimes the most disenfranchised, the most disinvested communities. Oftentimes we carry the weight. As a brown woman, I carry the weight of what has happened in my history, right? But I can imagine at any point we take that on because we know why our communities are struggling. We know if you're doing this work and you're in the nonprofit work, you understand how disinvestment has led our communities to where they are. And so it becomes your personal mission and that can get exhausting. We, in our lifetime, Mallory, may never see the changes that we hope that we're planting seeds for now. So where do you get your passion from? How do you fill your cup back up if you're constantly having to pour in and change is happening? But sometimes it feels like at a turtle's pace. So, so much happens when we're feeling burnout from our brain shrinking to getting sick. Our immune systems go down, which is in the time of COVID and everything else that's going around. That's become such a major concern. But again, we know that chronic stress can lead to so many issues, depression, anxiety, relationship problems. You find yourself unable to connect or want to do anything at night because you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. So you want to have a bottle of wine, watch Netflix. Mm -hmm. So now your social relationships are being affected. It's just this trickle down effect to all parts of your life.
0: Do you find that people, when they've been in a state of chronic stress for so long, start to believe that that is their equilibrium.
1: Yeah, I hear people say, I'm just an uptight person. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm always stressed out. Oh, I'm just a nervous person. I'm just always an anxious person. Absolutely. But even more than that, thinking about our communities, somehow we have to normalize it. Think about the stress that our children are under in Chicago, right? Like Mm -hmm. just the amount of violence that happens. If we don't normalize it, we live every day. We'd see many more children having heart attacks. From the amount of stress that so part of us normalizes it for survival but that's what i mean our body keeps the score so you're fine right i just had the worst day i'm stressed out but i still made dinner maybe i even worked out got 30 minutes in i right? did what i need to do but if you're not going to the root of the stress and tomorrow you go back at it again and you're not identifying what's at the root of what's stressing you are not all stress is bad right throwing a wedding Stressful, baby shower, stressful like going on a vacation sometimes, where, how, the plane, what cost, but it's short term, it's good stress, we know at the end you're going to be laying on a beach or climbing on a mountain, it's this chronic bad stress where you don't know the end of it, you don't see the end of the tunnel, so we can keep going, but our body is And you may never know, you may never know that you could have lived to 98, but died at 63. You're not going to really know the toll that stress took, but we now know that stress does affect every single part from our brain to our heart, to how we carry weight, to how we metabolize food. All of that is affected by stress.
0: Yeah. Wow. One of the words you used made me think of this word is this idea of recovery and I think about recovery time in nonprofits and with fundraisers in particular, how there is really no space given for recovery. And I think about it in particular to things like getting rejected like they get a no on a big grant. You know, you were sort of sharing some of those stories before and then that rocks them. You know, they have this real, not just there is the stress of how are we going to meet that deadline? How are we going to fund that program? All the people who are going to suffer because we don't have the money. But then I think there's also this whole other piece, like you were saying before, of I'm not good enough or I'm bad or I did a bad job. And so there's this huge, toll that it takes, I think, on like all these different tiers or elements of what make us feel stressed or disconnected and become more disembodied. And then we're just expected to like get that email and walk right into a major donor meeting. And when I've talked about recovery time around some of those things, you know, there's the we don't have the time sort of mentality and putting aside that narrative for a second can you talk to me about what are different forms of recovery that can bring us back into more of a grounded state reduce our stress like what are some different wellness strategies that your organization supports organizations to start to implement that help with some of that like recovery
1: yeah I think where we ground a lot of that is having the proper mindset, that development-oriented mindset, that growth mindset when working with organizations or with individuals. And just so that we're all on the same page, growth mindset is a term that Dr. Carol Dweck, it's been a few years now, she wrote a great book called Mindset, I'd recommend it. Such an easy read and such an easy way to understand what is a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset and simply a growth mindset. When we fail, seeing it as an opportunity, right? Oh, I just learned a new way not to do it. Oh, okay. Like I I understood that and I'm going to do it better. And we know scientifically that every time we fail, you come one step closer to success. That's just science. That's Mm -hmm. not like anything hokey that I'm saying. We just know if we keep practicing that things get better. And then a fixed mindset is constantly, again, defining yourself by your performance, being afraid to fail, not taking a risk for failure, not taking a risk in anything because of fear of failure that you might have. And so really talking about having one understanding that it's not either or, like, even as a therapist, every day I'm catching myself and I can see it more, right, because I talk about it all the time. And so I can see those fixed mindset statements. Oh, I'm so stupid for forgetting my phone. But like already putting myself down, like how many times do we do that? Like, oh, I'm so dumb. I turned the wrong way. Like sometimes our natural instinct is to put ourselves down and to have this fixed mindset, if you will, right? Not many of us get feedback and like, oh, that felt great. Now I know a new way. And thank you for telling me that I did that wrong. So it's human nature almost that we're trying to work against, or at least the way that society has set it up, right? The way that society is built. There is a lot more fixed mindset out there, then there is a growth mindset. So talking about what that looks like is the first thing that we do. I think that was the first thing I did with this development department. Once I saw their mission, that they were mission driven. And it's funny that you say that there's no recovery time. In nonprofit, you tend to see that. Teachers look forward to that summertime. Therapists also look forward to summertime as their school-based. Youth workers look forward to when school goes back because then they're not doing all day long. But what I saw in the development department is that there was never. And if there was, we put an event. Oh, let's put the golf outing in there. Oh, now it's gala season. Oh, now don't rest your laurels. You're only halfway through. And oh, we have a new idea. We want to launch a whole new department. (laughs) And I was a director of of programs. So I was famous for like, oh, I have an idea. I want to do this. (laughs) You see all these grant writers. Great, Rosa. You're right, it's going (laughs) to save a lot of people, but all the other deadlines are still there. and All the other things that, oh, let's throw a summer spray, that would be fun. Like all these brilliant ideas that you don't understand the logic and the logistics that kind of go Mm -hmm. beyond. There was never recovery time for the development department. There wasn't even time to process when failures happen because the pressure was, now you have to write, what was I told when I first ran the development department? 80, 20, 100 grants, 80 of them will be rejected, 20 will be accepted, I had to raise $14 million. Some of those grants were $3,000, which is nothing. And those were the ones that had six reports and wanted 12 copies of something. And it didn't make sense. I need 500 grant writers, like for your math, <laughs> like these two people here are not going to be able to like cut it, right? And mm-hmm. with that kind of math mentality. So there was never a recovery time, even time to celebrate celebrations when you did get that big gold mm-hmm when the gala made more money than it ever had in history. It was, okay, that's good. Is the golf outing in six weeks? All right, let's get those. So celebrating. You said, what are some strategies, right? So the growth mindset, having that proper mindset, learning, teaching yourself so that you can catch yourself, not feeling bad, not judging yourself. Oh my God, I'm such a fixed mindset. Just Mm -hmm. learning to catch it and coming out of that. Celebration, making time to celebrate. What does that mean? Because we talked about it when you were writing it. The proposal, hey, this means two therapists Mm -hmm. job and help 80 children. Then we got it and development department didn't get to talk about it anymore. Now it was, hey, team of clinicians who just got this grant. We get to do this wonderful thing and development was seeing it. I think that was the thing that the development department was really missing, especially during COVID. I hired Mm -hmm. a whole new team during COVID. They never got to see the children. As a COO, I would end my day in a classroom because I needed to see the why. I needed to physically, it was a horrible day dealing with air conditioners and budgets and firing, hiring, nothing to do with mental health. And when I sat in that classroom and I could see the why, I was like, okay, I'll be back tomorrow. Mm. And the development department doesn't get to do that very often. Or if they do, they don't feel comfortable. The COO, I felt comfortable walking into a classroom. Mm and interacting or staring or whatever I needed to do. Development department doesn't always feel so close to programs because they're development. So taking time to celebrate, and I would say, I want to show you the site. I want you to meet a clinician. I want you to watch, like, come see, come hang out, let's grab some breakfast, and let's go to the early childhood center where you get to see three-year-olds who are doing that civic engagement grant that you wrote that took you 12 days to write and 500 attachments. Like, let's go see the kids. And so celebrating visually seeing your why, whatever that means, however you do that, from a vision board to literally sitting in a classroom, recognizing what self-care is and isn't. Like, mm. I'm all about Netflix and a half a bottle of wine. I'm not judging your life, but it's not self-care. Self-care is an act of being healthy. It's an intentional act of doing better. You have to be mindful. It has to go into your calendar. And it, it is a variety of things. I just turned 50. And and when COVID hit three years ago, I started to work out. They said the number one reason that people were passing away was obesity. And I was like, my luck. I already told you I was a COO at that time. I was like, I have the worst luck. I'm going to get a treadmill. And in my 50 at the time, 47 years, I did shamans. I do yoga. I've been to therapy. I've been like, I'm really big on intentional self-care and working out was like, I couldn't believe people don't talk about it more. It felt mm-hmm. like such a beautiful way to manage your stress, to kind of let it out, feel physically great. But talking to friends, making time, being in nature, like these are all scientific things. These aren't like, oh, tips that Rosa likes. Like science shows you <laughs> that being in nature, elevate your hormones, your serotonin, your dopamine, like all these things start to happen. Being around people that you love. Again, not, this isn't Rosa's tip, science shows what happens to our body to our prefrontal cortex, to our hippocampus, our amygdala relaxes when we're around love. And that could be your fur babies, it could be your family, it could be your partner, it could be your besties, but really making time for those things and understanding the science behind it. Because I think oftentimes we minimize it like it's a hokey thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to watch binge watch Blacklist and like maybe have more than half a bottle tonight. I'll be fine. But knowing that our body's not fine, like keeping all that in, like, okay, like you're not going to manage it. So I'm going to, mm-hmm. going to find something else that's here. So being super mindful about self-care. And then when it feels like it's too much getting help, people are now getting that mental health has nothing to do with, I don't see crazy. I couldn't do schizophrenia. That's not the type of therapist I am. right? So understanding how to invest in ourselves and how to prevent things from happening instead of waiting to like, you're actually depressed. Like, hmm, I'm kind of blue. It feel some anxiety, like, let me get on this. And maybe it's 10 sessions, maybe it's five sessions. Maybe you don't need this long-term Freudian, I'm on the couch for half my life. And maybe you do. I'm not demeaning that either, but just when it feels like it's too much, making sure that you get that help. So those are some of the strategies that I like to not just teach development department, but anyone that we work with organizationally to take that lens of mindset and celebration I love recovery recovery is so key and the mindset of like what did we learn and it wasn't till I finally hired a director of development who was like let's ask everybody like why we're not getting these grants let's learn from it you know maybe we'll learn something I was like look at that mindset like the rest of us (laughs) want to ignore it forget them there's the whatever you have to know somebody he was like let's reread it what if we you know Mm -hmm. what if we took it and we added a couple other pieces to it maybe the next one and I could see growth mindset, and I was so happy to give him back his wonderful department. <laughs> he had had such great experience; he was amazing. I really led with that growth mindset. And like, he was so okay when they didn't. He would buffer that, like, "Oh, it's fine. We're not going to get every grant. You're fine. Why don't you go home early? Why don't you?" Like, he would mm-hmm. like really allow for that space and time to recover mm-hmm. and come back feeling re-energized, right? And also re-strategizing. Oh, okay, maybe I could have added more research or maybe it didn't have the number, whatever it was, but re-strategizing is what we wanted. It's the ultimate goal.
0: First T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. Okay, there's something that you're just saying in there that is making me think about something differently for the first time, which is about this piece around the safety to look deeper, the safety necessary to be willing to grow, especially together in those moments. So I think about all of the avoidance of looking at things. Like we didn't get that thing. It hurts. Like I feel hurt. I'm spiraling. My nervous system is activated. All of these things. And then so often I think we choose the flight options perhaps away from that, the Netflix, the wine, the all of those things. And what you're describing in this development director was it sounds like their ability to create like a connected Safe space to say, no, let's not look away. It's okay that this happened. Let's not look away. Let's not run away from this. Let's figure out what happened. And so we can do better in the future. But that there was like, you know, I think about it's kind of a weird story, maybe to insert here, but I. I remember after I had my daughter, I was really struggling with my weight and my body image. And I was avoiding the scale, like at all costs. Like I was just like, I cannot step on that thing ever. And then I had this moment where I was just like, wait, but the number is just a number why am I so afraid of looking at it? And it's like, oh, well, I'm afraid of looking at it because the moment I see that number, I start being so mean to myself. Like, how could you ever let yourself gain this much weight? How could you have... And so the ability to look at the hard things, to sit in them and actually do the work to use them to grow instead of just running away from them because they activate us initially... Can you talk to me about how we can create those moments, that culture on our teams?
1: Yeah. Before I hired the director of development, I would talk about it. And everybody knew my background. Everybody knew I was mental health. So it was very easy to say, oh, there's Rosa wanting us to talk about our feelings. He came in as a very respected, experienced director of development, and they could see then the the professional benefit. It wasn't just Rosa. That was the hard part about, about being a therapist is when I come to you and I talk about growth mindset or any of the other pieces oh she's a therapist right but he wasn't he had always been in development he'd been the director of development for major organizations and his was like but we get to learn and here's how I grew is by delving deep right and so he was able to show them I was we were both saying the same things but how to really realize your professional benefit we often get motivated with that we want maybe to be promoted, or we want to make more money, or we want to work less. So, we got to work smarter if we're going to work less. So, we all kind of have these professional ambitions. And I see that a lot in the development department. I think most grant writers that I've hired wanted to be the director of development. Mm-hmm. So, that ambition is naturally there. And sometimes people minimize, and I think that's changing since COVID, the emotional factor like Mm -hmm. well emotionally you feel better if you could see it and you would learn from your mistakes and you are learning to not be critical and we tend to think like yeah that would be nice but it'd be nice if I got this promotion and so being able to see the professional benefit of learning how to shift our mindset learning how to care for our emotional well-being Mm -hmm. and how that's directly invested into our jobs our relationships our health, our physical health, like that's the other thing science just caught up on. It's no longer mental health and physical, it's health. Mm -hmm. It's got different components and they're completely, doctors, so many doctors will tell you about patients who come in and I have a headache and there's nothing wrong with you. I can't, I've taken the test. And then what's the next question they ask? How much stress do you have? What kind of job do you have? Like We now get it that our bodies and our mental health are completely connected. And so I think really owning that fact Will help keep us motivated and knowing that if we can tend to our emotional well being, if we can tend to our injured self, Mm -hmm. if we can talk to that part of us that is always struggling with that imposter syndrome of whatever it is, your weight or your job, if we can nurture that piece, everything in our life gets better. And that's an incredible investment. No, like if you work out every day, the only thing, well, your mental health will get better too, but you would physically see it when you take care of your mental health, you think clear you're better as a wife, as a husband, as a mother, as a daughter, as a best friend. Like, there's just so much as to yourself. You're not in the mirror saying, how did you let yourself get that? Like, Hey girl, let's go work out today. Look at you looking sick. Right? Like, Mm. like I see I got more booty and enjoying it and like, right. But like, and then pushing yourself to do what you would have done instead of saying, look at you how could you do that? And that's so Mm. horrible. Still having to force yourself to go to the gym when you're working at a negative, as opposed to like, I feel good about myself. I'm going to go to the gym Mm -hmm. now. Maybe your workout's even better, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's buying into the fact that it's an investment in our whole life.
0: When I started reading your work and learning about what you do, I think I was so excited about bringing your voice nonprofit fundraisers in particular. I mean, you hold this historical lens into the space and into the departments. And to me, what you're talking about right now is the whole deal. You know, like we are obsessed in this sector with the strategy and the templates and the tactics and the event and the thing, and just give me the one right way to do this thing. And to me, at the end of the day, our ability to do any of those things, to send the template, to walk into the meeting, to think clearly about whether or not we should even have a golf event, or it's a good use of our time and money, like those things, those actions, the doing of fundraising is not possible if we do not have wellness practices, if we do not have Mental health to be able to, we keep banging our head against the wall, looking for clarity around a decision. And we continue in that state of overdrive and overwhelm and chronic stress. And we wonder why we can't just think our way out of it. And to me, the answer lies in everything that you're saying that the clarity that we're looking for, the ability that we're looking for, the energy that we're looking for resides in how we take care of ourselves and support our whole humanness and our whole health to be able to show up to our jobs every day. A question I get a lot is, okay, I agree with everything you and Rosa are saying and that's what I want for myself and and my job and my organization, but I have a boss who really doesn't understand the need for all of these things or doesn't value the mental health of their team. Do you have any suggestions for somebody inside an organization that doesn't have sort of organizational support around wellness and how they support their own mental health? I think advocating
1: for yourself. I think that's going to be the first thing is finding your voice. Most nonprofits have heard this from all their employees. And I think oftentimes the development department is just not People don't physically see them all the time because they are working from home or writing grants. And so you don't see someone banging their head up against the wall like you might mm-hmm. see if you're working in an after-school program or something like that. So one advocating for yourself because the bottom line is that every single organization needs development. It is the most sought after. It is the got the largest turnover because there's this constant, and every time I've gotten a chance to talk to anyone in development is that they are looking to be fed as a human being. They do want to celebrate. I want you to see my humanity. So recognizing your worth, first and foremost, like I am telling you all, and maybe I'm in Chicago, so maybe specific to Chicago, but like development, they're so sought after. They're so like revered when you find some, everybody knows who the good development directors are in the city, right? And they're different work, who often do consulting because they can't take (laughs) nonprofit work. So knowing your worth, knowing what you bring to the table, not being afraid to advocate for yourself, setting boundaries. I think we started to see that post-COVID with our development department, and it was really new for the org. like, no, you can't email me at night. Like, here is nine to five. No, there's no emergency. Like, what emergency? What a grant? Like, maybe a deadline once a year, but, like, it shouldn't be this recovery, looking at your strategy, like we would spend 10 hours writing a $3,000 grant. like, And then you think about all the salary, and you do the math. We just spent $5,000 to make $3,000 if we we're lucky, if you're one of the 20%. So being strategic and not being afraid of that, I think this particular development director keeps coming to mind, really comfortable and advocating, really knew his worth. And I think that's hard. I think part of it was he was a white male So there's a different sense of entitlement that I wish everybody had. Anyway, there's a big difference for me when I see people in development department who are people of color serving people of color than people who are white serving people of color. There is that more of like pressure that you'll be put on yourself. And as a brown woman, I'm guilty of that. Like I do need to work 60 hours a week because my community is emotionally on fire. So not being afraid to set those boundaries, realizing what your boundaries are. What do you need? Like some of us work at night and that might be okay. Some of us, we want our mornings. Some of us, knowing what feels good for you and advocating for that, creating those boundaries, talking about strategies. Every CEO will listen if you help them do the math. Divide how many hours it takes to write a $3,000 grant. How many people from the director of development to the CFO who had to write the budget to the stamp it costs and then do your math and then show it to people like, do we really want, because I could take these 10 hours, add it to five more hours and write a $95,000 grant. And so being strategic, and I don't know how many people are going to listen to this. So I say this gently, not a lot of CEOs know how to run a development department or know a whole lot about development. Don't tell anybody. But if you know, it's okay that most CEOs will listen to you. If this is your expertise, I'm going to help your bottom line. Let me explain to you. And a lot of CEOs need visuals. And you development people are amazing at visuals. So do a couple of graphs and some pie charts. Show like, this is my worth. This is what I could bring to the table if allowed to do things in a way that make me feel good and seen as a human being. And ask that at the interview. I think that was the other thing is listening at the interview. So I could go back to my CEO and say, hey, listen, this person, Wants to be humanized, wants to celebrate, wants recovery, and also has an experience of bringing in all this money. So, like, how are we going to do all these things, right? In this chaotic? And maybe it is canceling the damn golf outing. Like, maybe it is.
0: (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. What question have I not asked you that I should be asking you about all of this?
1: The only thing that kind of comes to mind is thinking about, like, I I made the joke that CEOs don't know. But I also shared with you that I was a COO whose whole background was in mental health. All I had ever done, and yet I was a director. And it takes a while to find a director of development in this world, just so you know, who can run the events and do private grants and do federal grants and do applications for, you know, major, like, it's just crazy what we ask for. And we used to say a unicorn all the time. I think it was cute to say we're looking for a unicorn why are we looking for unicorns, right? Like, I think that's the other piece of it. And then when I did meet my development department, they had different backgrounds that come in. Like not many people go to school saying, I'm going to be a grant writer. I'm going to fundraise. There's so many varied backgrounds. Oh, I used to work in groceries. I used to work in law. A lot of people come in from law and I want to do something that's more mission driven. So really realizing the diversity If you are a director of development or someone who's running an organization is listening to this, it's really meeting people where they're at. It's not a development team. It's individuals in a development team. And so different people might need different things. And I think it's perfectly okay and an investment as well as helping the bottom line when you can individualize your approaches and leadership. So as a director of development, individualizing your leadership approaches to the individuals who are on your team. There wasn't one size fits all. Clinicians to to be people who went to school to become clinicians and got a man. And it wasn't like that when I ran the development department. Everybody had a different start. And what brought them together was that mission. And so how do I take all of these different personalities, right? And how do I create individualized approaches? Part of that is respecting that you know what you need. I don't have to figure it out for you, Mallory. You know what feels good for you. I like working nights. I like working days. I want to do four days a week. I'm more impactful that way. And I can spend three days really recovering. But man, are you going to get some good four days? Better than five days because I'm right. So having that discussion with different people and not being afraid to have that kind of flexibility and trusting because development department is so unique because they really are driven there for the mission. There's no big checks Mm -hmm. in that profit. Even for the director of development, there's not like, no one's making millions. No one's showing up in a Lamborghini. Like, that's just not what's happening. So recognizing that why, speaking to it and realizing everybody has an individualized way to maximize their outcomes, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So helping people thrive as their best self, not my best self, not as the organization's best self, but as your best
0: self. That is such good advice. Okay, we're coming up on time. So tell everyone where they can find you, how they can work with you. Thank you so much for this incredible conversation.
1: Thank you, Mallory. I had a fantastic time. Thank you for letting me talk about development. That's not something I get to talk about all the time. Uh, We are Chicago Growth Mindset at chicagogrowthmindset.com. We offer a variety of services. You can definitely find me on LinkedIn, Rosa Julia Rivera. I'd love to connect with all sorts of professionals. Thank you so much for having me here today, Mallory. I really appreciate
0: it. Amazing. Thank you for joining me. Have a great day. Take care. All right, there is so much inside this episode, but here are a few of the things I am double clicking on right now. Number one, even acute stress like deadlines or the pressure of failure takes a toll on your health and well-being. Acute stress can turn into chronic stress, which takes an even bigger toll. That's why it's critical to create an organizational culture that supports health and wellness. Number two, there is not enough time or space for recovery in nonprofits, organizations can implement recovery strategies for fundraisers to reduce stress and process rejection. And this is crucial for fundraiser resilience over time. A great example of a recovery strategy is focusing on having a development or growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. That mental practice inside your organization alone can make a big difference. Number three, When self-help isn't enough to quell your stress or recover from burnout or rejection, it might be time to seek professional help. Access to therapy is not equitable, and so I understand that not everyone listening to this will have access, but I highly encourage you to look at the options your insurance may have for group therapy, low-cost telehealth options, or other mental health tools and resources that are working to increase access. Getting yourself some level of support is really important. Number four, remember to have compassion for yourself and be gentle with yourself. Notice when you start being critical and try to consciously shift that to empathy and forgiveness. And number five, if your boss doesn't value employee well-being enough to give you support, then unfortunately you're going to have to find your voice, own your worth, and advocate for yourself. You can start by setting boundaries to protect your health and wellness. Okay, for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Rosa and our amazing sponsors in Still. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I'm so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the Fundraising Underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week.